copy of the scriptures and turn with me to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. Our text this morning will be verse 18 through the rest of the chapter. Read along with me, please. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. May he bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Will you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Our Father, we are indeed grateful that you have given us another opportunity to join together as the body of Christ, to worship you, Father, to pray to you, to confess our sins to you, to read your word together and hear from it. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless the reading of it and the preaching of it this morning. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be pleased to be in our midst. Father, we acknowledge before you that we are incapable of teaching or learning spiritual truth apart from the grace and the power of God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would indeed work in our lives here today. I pray that you would bless the preacher, that you would bless the hearers, that the Lord God would be glorified in Jesus Christ our Lord, that his people would be encouraged, and the lost would be evangelized here this morning, all for the glory's sake of our Lord Jesus. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Now, as we read this text, there are some good moral applications from it, even for the lost and dying world out there. And if you're satisfied with just taking the morality that is in the text this morning and going, let me just give it to you quickly and you can move on and take care of your other duties. As we look through this, what we find is, is that you learn a lot more by listening than you do talking. The longer I live, the smarter my dad seems to get. We learn here that it says to think before you speak. That's wise. You can use that at work with your lost friends and neighbors. Don't make big decisions based on your emotions. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't speak poorly of others and help other people that are less fortunate than you. Now that's the morality of our passage this morning that applies even to the lost folks that are out there. But I would suggest to you that we would not stop there with just the moral underpinnings of God's truth this morning. 
but that by God's grace and by God's Holy Spirit, that we would take a deeper look this morning and that we would see that there is much spiritual truth in these passages, that we would ask God's Holy Spirit to speak that spiritual truth to our hearts and give us ears to hear, that when we leave here this morning, we would not leave here the same way that we came in, that we would leave here not just knowing spiritual truth, but having been encouraged by it, being conformed more to the image of our Lord Jesus. There are four things that we'll see that are spiritual truths here this morning. And they all have to do with the power and the authority of God's Word. Now let me give you those four things, and then we'll talk about power and authority for just a moment. Number one, the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. Number two, the Word is the authority of God that requires submission. Number three, the Word is the power of God provided by God for our struggle with sin. And fourthly, the Word is the authority of God that defines our acceptable service to God. Now having said that and made the claim that the Word of God has power and the Word of God has authority, the Word itself tells us that it is God-breathed that the Word of God is living, that it is active, that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. This is God's Word that we're speaking about. The inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient and authoritative Word of God. It has power. It has authority. Philosophically speaking, with regard to power and authority, Power is the ability to do whatever it is that you want to do. That's what power is. Power is the ability to do whatever you want to do. But it doesn't stop there. Power is the ability to make others do what you want them to do. Did you get that? Power is the ability to make others do what you want them to do. And the exercise of power proceeds from the will. Whatever it is that one who has power wills comes to pass. Whatever it is that one has, who has sufficient power wills occurs in the life of those that he wills it for. What we're speaking about here this morning is a characteristic that is absolutely fundamental to the Lord God. He is not just powerful, He is all-powerful. He is the Almighty God. There is no limit to his power. He has absolute power. He is absolute power. He has the ability to do whatever it is that Almighty God chooses to do. And he answers to no one. That's sovereignty. Almighty God has the ability to make anyone that he chooses to do anything that he chooses to do. That is the irresistible and effective power of Almighty God. And the exercise of God's power comes from his will it proceeds from the will of God that is fundamentally the being that we're talking about eternal God authority always descends from power there is no authority in the absence of power 
The Word of God is the expression of God, it is the power of God, and it has authority in the lives of men and women. The Word of God is the expression of God, and its authority descends from His power. Authority carries with it the, the right to define what is proper. Authority carries with, it, carries with it the right to command obedience to what is good and right. And authority has the right to enforce compliance. That's authority. The Word of God is powerful. And the Word of God has authority. Look with me at verse 18. Of His own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth. If we get this concept fixed in our mind, and if by God's grace His Holy Spirit gives us illumination on these words, it will go a long way to putting the key in the lock and turning it so that we understand the power and the authority of God in our life through His word. Notice what James says. No, notice what the Holy Spirit says through James. Speaking of God, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. He's speaking of salvation. He's speaking of conversion. He is speaking to first generation Christians and He tells them that they are Christian, they are saved, they are born again, they have been converted, they have been regenerated, by the will of God. Look what James says. Of his own will he brought us forth. Not in accordance with our ancestry. We didn't inherit the new life. Salvation was not conferred upon them by the high priest of the Jews. It's not conferred upon anyone by the Pope. It's not conferred upon anyone by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's not conferred upon anyone by their pastor. Salvation comes to men and women and boys and girls by God's own will. It's not by our will. It's not by my will. My brother and my sister in Christ, you were not converted as a result of exercising your will. You were converted by the will of God. James doesn't stop there. He tells us how God goes about doing that. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. By the word of truth. By the preaching of the gospel. For salvation to take place, the gospel must be preached. The gospel must be heard. God's Holy Spirit must take the gospel that has been preached and He must use it to give life in order for faith to exist. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Our God is a God of purpose and all of those that He placed in Jesus Christ before the very foundation of this world will be saved, no exception, and there will not be another single soul in heaven other than those that He placed in Christ before the foundation of the world. But He is a God of means as well as a God of purpose, and He brings about the conversion of His elect by the preaching of the gospel. 
Well, brother, I can think of a lot of other ways that people get saved. I challenge you to that. I challenge you to that. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 8 of Acts. Here's a man that was consumed with the scriptures. We know what he was reading. He was reading Isaiah chapter 53. He had the very word of God, the powerful and the authoritative word of God in his hands. And God sent Philip. God had to send a preacher. And Philip closed with the eunuch. He said, what are you reading? The eunuch told him. Philip said, do you understand it? And then listen to the wisdom that came out of this unconverted man's mouth. He said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? The preaching of the gospel is absolutely indispensable in the salvation of God's people. He brings salvation by his own will, by the preaching of the word of truth. There is power in the preaching of the gospel. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul tells us that the preaching of the cross is the power of God unto salvation to those of us that are being saved. And he told the Corinthians in chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is the power of God. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that irreducible minimum of fact regarding our Lord that must be preached in order for salvation to take place is His eternal deity. He is fully God. He left His home in glory and He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin by the power of God's Holy Spirit. He is as much flesh as you and I, yet without sin. Eternal God and fully human. He was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. He had no sin of His own for which to die, but He came to this earth to die for the sins of His people and He went to the cross and there Almighty God the Father made Him to be sin for us in order that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. He hung there on the cross, and as He did, having been made sin for His people, the Lord God poured out the full totality of His wrath and justice and fury and punishment upon His Son, our dear Lord Jesus Christ, and in those three hours, He absolutely absorbed, exhausted, and extinguished every ounce of God's fury and wrath against the sins of His people. The Lord Jesus Christ not only bore our sins, my brother in Christ, He bore God's wrath. God's justice has been satisfied against the sins of the people of Jesus Christ. The proof of that is, is that Jesus dismissed His Spirit from His body. He experienced physical death. They laid Him in the ground for three days, and on the morning of the third day, He resurrected Himself out from among the dead. He was seen by upwards of 500 of His disciples before He ascended to the right hand of Almighty God into the clouds of God's glory, where He is ever seated now to make intercession for us, and from where He is coming again soon and very soon to judge the living and the dead. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That must be preached for salvation to take place. Not verbatim, of course, but those concepts. The Word is the power of God. It is the only power of God under the salvation of souls. Number two, look with me at verses 19 and 20. The Word is the authority of God that requires submission. The Word is the authority of God that requires submission. Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Hear what? Hear the Word of God. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, uh, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the Word of God requires us to be quick to hear the Word. Now that can mean a lot of different things in terms of how can we hear the Word. But ultimately and finally it means this, is that we should be purposeful in assembling ourselves and listening to the preaching of God's Word by God's men. That we should judge the preaching of the Word that we hear by God's Word. But we have no choice. The Word requires us to place ourselves under the authority of the Word. And by God's own choice, that occurs in a local body of believers, what we refer to as the local church. Each and every one of you this morning, either knowingly or unknowingly, you have placed yourself under the authority of God's Word, under the authority of a local body of believers here at Midtown Baptist Church. And right now, as long as I'm speaking the truth of God's Word, you're under the authority of this preacher. If I speak to you the words of God, they carry the power and the authority of God. We have the responsibility to assemble ourselves under the preaching of God's Word. But not just on Sunday morning. It also means that we have the responsibility to study God's Word for ourselves. To spend time with other believers and discuss the Word of God. Brother, is it okay if I listen to preaching tapes? It's great if you listen to good preaching tapes. I can tell you a bunch of preaching tapes you ought not listen to. Listen to those tapes and judge them against the Word of God. Is it okay if I read books about the Gospels and about the Scriptures? It absolutely is. I recommend that you read books by dead guys, but there's some living guys that aren't too bad. The idea is, is that you judge what you're reading against the Scriptures. This is the final authority. Be quick to place yourself under the authority of God's Word. Don't miss the opportunities because they come by God's grace. James tells us not only to be quick to hear, he tells us to be slow to speak. The meaning here is probably not as broad as being quick to hear, but it includes at least two things that James is communicating, being slow to speak. Number one, preaching and teaching the Word of God is an enormous responsibility, and you are not sufficient for the task. None of us are. And my recommendation to you would be that if you can find satisfaction scripturally in your life apart from doing it, then do that. Those words are a rough paraphrase of Mr. Spurgeon and some lessons to his students. How do I become a preacher? You don't become a preacher. God makes preachers. God makes preachers. He calls them. He equips them. He gifts them. He gives them a place to preach. He gives them an opportunity to preach, and he gives them a message to preach. So before you pick up the book and claim to be one of those men, the scriptural process is, is that you are observed morally and doctrinally by a local body of believers. And more often than not, you will be identified before you even identify yourself. Just talk to a lot of old preachers. The, uh, the formula that God uses has not changed. So don't be quick to pick it up and preach it and teach it. Do it 
under the supervision and the authority of a local body that is convinced that God has called and equipped and gifted you to do those things. I would also say that it means that particularly as new Christians, as relatively immature Christians, there are any number of concepts that are going to be preached and taught to you from a pulpit that is preaching and teaching the truth that are counterintuitive to everything that you've ever been told about Almighty God. Some of them are going to rub you the wrong way. Some of them are going to cause some degree or another of rebellion in your heart. And before you speak against what is being presented as the truth of God, weigh it carefully and consider it before you speak against what is being preached as truth. Judge it against God's word. James tells us to be slow to anger at the teaching of God's word. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, he tells us specifically. Specifically, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But you know what? There is indwelling sin in each and every one of us, and part of that indwelling sin is rebellion, and part of that rebellion is we want some of the glory, don't we? We want some of the credit. It seems that, that many of us who've been around a long time still have trouble with the concept that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Friends, I'm telling you, you don't keep the law in order to be made righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ kept the law. He is Jesus Christ the righteous, and it is He that makes us righteous. I don't get any credit. I don't get any of that glory. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's not based on what I do. It's not based on what I don't do. I'll be 57 in just a few weeks. I've been converted, I believe, for a long time. And I still struggle with this. I still struggle with the concept of being righteous and doing righteous things in order to earn God's favor. That's an impossibility. As a matter of fact, it is an indicator that not only do I not fully comprehend, but I don't yet fully embrace and fully believe what the Word says about this. In Romans chapter 10, Paul said this. He said, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The Scriptures call us, my brother and sister in Christ, to submit to the righteousness of God and come to the conclusion that what the Scriptures say that are absolutely true, and that is this, is that in the very beginning of our lives, we were conceived in sin and we came forth and we're nothing but sin and there's nothing but unrighteousness in our life. We never have, we never can, we never will contribute anything to our own righteousness. Righteousness comes only through Almighty God by the preaching of the gospel and the imputation of the righteousness that the Lord Jesus Christ established for us on the cross. Amen. And anything that I choose to add to that would give me some credit. And I suspect that if the Lord lets me live another 57 years, I'll continue to struggle. I pray that God's Spirit, by His grace, would root out every vestige of self-righteousness that exists in my wicked soul. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. And Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Submit to that concept, my brother and sister in Christ. Lay down 
the tools of your self-righteousness and submit yourself without reservation, finally, fully, and completely to Almighty God and acknowledge once, fully, and finally that Jesus Christ and He alone is our righteousness. The third thing that we'll look at is found in verse 21 through 25. The Word is the power of God for the struggle with sin. The Word is the power of God for the struggle with sin. There are some things I don't need to ask you, and one of them is, do you struggle with sin? I know you do, my brother and sister. There is indwelling sin that is within us by definition. It will be there until the day that the Lord Jesus returns for us or until he calls us home, but we are not without hope. While we are beset by indwelling sin and temptation, the Word of God is where we find the power of God that allows us to struggle with and enjoy victories over this sin that so easily besets us. But I want you to notice as we read these verses together, it's not enough to just know the Word, we must Obey the word. Verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I don't know what kind of filthiness and rampant wickedness is going on in your life, but there's some in mine. I need to put it away. On the authority of God's word, put it away. And in place of it, with meekness, meekness, you get that? Meekness, not with spiritual pride, but with meekness, receive the implanted word, that gospel message that God's Holy Spirit has taken and put in your heart in that prepared and fertile ground. It is that message and that message alone that is able to save your soul. Study the word, put away filthiness and wickedness, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. It's not enough to just know God's Word. You doubt me? Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. You would have searched long and hard upon the face of this earth 2,000 years ago to find a man that knew God's Word frontward and backward any better than Saul of Tarsus. He knew it but he'd not experienced God's grace. He didn't understand it. But the moment that the Lord Jesus appeared to him brighter than a new day sun, knocked him off his donkey into the dirt and got his attention, and by his grace saved his wicked soul, the Apostle Paul began to practice the Word of God, not in the vain traditions of his fathers, but in the true and scriptural way, filled with God's Holy Spirit and led by him. It's not enough to hear it We've got to do it. To just hear it and not do it is to deceive yourself, to convince yourself that you are okay because you know you're deceiving yourself. Saul of Tarsus was living in a world of self-deceit. I'm afraid that I have too for way too long. Verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, here's what he's like. He's like a man that looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But, here's the contrast to that. 
the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, God's scriptures, and perseveres, perseveres, struggles, wrestles, sweats, studies passages that you don't initially understand, wrestles with passages that make you uncomfortable, conclude that the Bible really says what it says and not what I was told when I was growing up at a church that was on the fringes of orthodoxy, but perseveres, and not just being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, one who actually takes these scriptural principles that we read here and puts them into practice, James says he will be blessed in his doing. Consistently place yourself under the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Pray over it. Meditate on it. Persevere in the application of it. Obey it. Put it into practice in your life. And in these things, the Bible says, there is blessing. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Verses 26 and 27 give us evidence that the word of God is the authority of God that defines acceptable service. The word of God is the authority of God that defines acceptable service. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now remember, James was writing to those that professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us this morning that if you think, this is not about being hypocritical in the face of your brothers and sisters. This is what's going on between your own two ears and in your heart. If you think that you're religious, and that your religion has got you in exactly the right relationship with God and that your life is pleasing to Him and you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your heart. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of James. Now, no one knows my tongue better than I do and how I use it. I find this very convicting. I suspect that maybe some more of us in here this morning find this convicting. But if you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart, that's bad enough, but listen to this. This person's religion is worthless. And the highly technical definition of that word worthless means it's not worth anything. It's vanity. It's light. It has no true and lasting impact. Now, I don't want anybody to think that I stand here this morning judging you. I don't. I don't have the right to do that. I do have the right and I do have the responsibility to judge my own tongue and my own heart and my own religion. And I trust that you're wise enough to know that you have the responsibility to do that in your life as well. Well, what does the right relationship with God look like? We see that in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Isn't that what we really long to be and do? Is pure and undefiled before a holy God, knowing that we cannot do that on our own, knowing that that will never be fully and finally and completely achieved until we leave this body of sin behind. But James tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is talking about selfless service and spotless lives. Let me stop and judge myself again. As I look over the course of my life, can I find selfless service and do I see a spotless life? Notice, James uses the specific example of visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. We'd probably have to drive a long way on most days to find orphans and widows in their affliction. Maybe we wouldn't have to drive as far as I think. But don't get the idea that James is limiting this acceptable service to just orphans and widows that are being afflicted. No. No, he's talking about, as one commentator has said, just the natural objects of charity in our community. Another way to put it that's easier for me to understand is folks that need help. People in our sphere of life, in our sphere of influence that we know need help. And by using the terms widows and orphans, James was really referring to the outcast and the helpless people in our midst. Frankly, in my flesh, I would much rather to come to your nice home which is air-conditioned and heated, and minister to you in a time of need. I'm talking about truly ministering to you when you're in a time of need on a day that you have bathed and groomed and aren't drunk or high. And I have a responsibility to do that. But when Almighty God presents the opportunity, or maybe when He motivates me to go and search out the opportunity, I also have the responsibility to minister the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ to those that maybe didn't bathe today and aren't so well dressed and aren't so well groomed. Maybe they don't look as much like me as most of you folks do. I'm talking about color, not size. The outcasts and the helpless that are in our midst. Notice James didn't tell him to hire a preacher to do it. He's not just talking about help that we send a proxy to do. He's not just talking about contributing money. He says visit them. He's talking about the ministry of personal presence in the lives of people who are broken and outcast and helpless. Now, before we leave, I want to make absolutely certain beyond any shadow of a doubt that nobody walks out that door with the impression that I am somehow putting guilt upon you and trying to motivate you to go and do something. That, is, that would be as far from reality as you could possibly go. That's not my purpose here. My purpose here is to indicate to us that not every one of us is called to go and do this on a daily basis. Not every one of us is called to do, go and do this on a weekly basis. But every one of us is called to respond when God gives us the opportunity. 
when he brings these people across our paths. Ultimately and finally, the reality of acceptable service in the eyes of God is this. To have personal contact with those that are hurting and that need Christ. And to keep ourselves unstained from the world. Yeah, I would say one of the most dangerous things that a fella can do is go where there's a bunch of drug addicts, alcoholics, and prostitutes. I'd recommend you don't go by yourself, fellas, for a lot of reasons. Safety being one of them. But when we associate ourselves with people like that, there's a tendency, we have a strong desire to pull them up, but there's a tendency to be pulled down. That's why James tells us that in the course of visiting orphans and widows, that we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. The same message that the Apostle John had for us, and that is this, we are in the world, but not of the world. We have experienced victory over the world, and that victory is our faith, and it was accomplished for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these few verses this morning, we see that the Word of God really does contain the power and the authority of God. The power of God unto salvation, the authority of God that requires submission to His very Word, the power of God that is necessary for us to experience victory in our struggle with sin, and the Word is the authority of God that defines what is true and acceptable service in the eyes of God our Father. May God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word. May He encourage His people. And uh, may God be glorified. Will you pray with me, please?